If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, I would like to encourage you to join me in Galatians chapter 5. These two verses that we have been studying for a couple of weeks are no doubt familiar verses. However, as we have engaged in the study of these verses, I personally have been greatly helped. One of the greatest helps that I have received is understanding that submission to the Holy Spirit does not mean that my walk with the Lord is a passive thing, but it requires action. And that will be clear as we study these verses this morning. In verse 22, the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is listing what he calls the fruit of the Spirit. These qualities are manifest in our lives Because of our relationship with Jesus Christ, submission to the Holy Spirit, this is evident. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Universally, it is inescapable, in my estimation, peace is something that everybody desires. Jesus promised his disciples in the upper room, talking in John chapter 14, he said this in verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Directly connecting the relationship we have with Christ to a lack of a troubled heart and the lack of a fear-filled mind. Don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. We live in a world dominated by chaos and confusion. Inner restlessness. Controlled by cares and fret and anxiety on all fronts. And yet Jesus promised peace. Webster defined peace as the condition that exists when nations or other groups are not fighting the ending of a state of war. That is how our world would understand peace. But the peace that we're reading here, according to the Greek, indicates more than living a life with no conflict, more than merely being quiet or still and at rest, it is the calmness that a nation or a city enjoys when it has a caring, a competent, and a secure leader. That's how it's tied to the Lord Jesus Christ. Having this kind of peace means that you and I can have tranquility in our heart and in our mind because it originates from an understanding that the lives that we are living is securely in the hands of a loving God. Fear creeps in When we don't know that God is in control, when we grasp that God is in control, it allows peace to reside in our hearts. It means experiencing quiet in your inner self, something that most of humanity lacks. How many of you have inner monologues? Yep, monologue, not dialogue. It's an inner monologue. You are talking to yourself on the inside. There is nothing worse in my mind than waking up at about 2.44 in the morning and letting my mind get going on all the pressures and cares and concerns of life. The fact is, I too often lack this inner peace. 
The world in which we live bases its peace on its resources and the peace that God gives us is founded on a relationship. Peace The peace that I'm talking about is not something that this world can understand, nor can they attain. They can't have it. I'm not trying to be mean, I'm just saying this is a fruit of the Spirit. The Lord is being quoted by the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 48, 22, here's the Lord being quoted. There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. They can't experience it. He comes back in Isaiah 57, 20, and we read this, but the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest. We can get that mental imagery, can we not? A sea that is raging, cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt, it's churned. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. The world just cannot arrive at the peace that we are talking about this morning. The lost... The unsaved, those who have rejected Christ, can only have peace when there is an absence of trouble. And even then, it's not complete because they fear trouble arriving. Whereas the believer can enjoy peace in spite of trials because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, many years ago, there was a bumper sticker or there was a phrase, there was an axiom that was used on coffee mugs, t-shirts, And bumper stickers, I've already said that. That's where I saw it the most. How many of you have ever seen this one? No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. How many of you have seen that? Now, I said this in the 945 service. For everyone that's like never seen that before, that is the basis of my entire outline. So you're going to be confused the whole way through. No Jesus, K-N-O-W, no peace, K-N-O-W. No Jesus, N-O Jesus, no peace. It is trite, it is seemingly light, maybe it's been overexposed, but it is true. No Jesus, no peace. Jesus Christ, one wrote, is the Prince of Peace. People today want peace without the Prince. Another writer said this, men may be able to create alliances among a few states which are drawn together by common need or common greed, but a real unity among peoples is not possible in this world of sin and rebellion where men wish to exalt themselves above the creator of the universe. No peace for those without Christ. It does not mean we are making the decision to keep it from them. It means they cannot have it because they do not have the source of peace of which we are discussing Jesus Christ. All the way back in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, talking about the culture of the day in which he lived. He wrote this in Jeremiah 6 and verse 10. The word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. They have no delight in it. He's describing his society and he is saying they don't revere the word of God, they don't respect the word of God, and they don't obey the word of God. He goes on and he says this, For from the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. From the prophet, even unto the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. It's a world of covetousness. It's a world of deceit. No respect, no reverence, no obedience to the word of God. Here is his summation in verse 14. They have healed also the herd of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. He is making it clear that in the world in which he lived, though they chased peace, though they spoke of peace, they never had it because they rejected God. 
In the New Testament, we read of the time in the tribulation period on earth after the church has been raptured to heaven when the world will be preoccupied with peace. Here's what we read in 1 Thessalonians 5.3. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Rebellion against the Word of God keeps peace from ever truly existing. It is not a state that our world can ever rest securely in, nor can people sense on the inside. There is only one way that we can have true peace, and the Apostle Paul delineates it in Ephesians 2. He says this, But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God and one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby." Man in his sinful condition, man in his natural state, man, according to his default setting, who he is at birth, is the enemy of a holy God because he has a sin nature. Striving all through life, all kinds of false religions, all kinds of ideology, attempting to make peace because of that inner chasm, that shout from the inside that doesn't let us rest in peace. Yet never finding an answer, and the Apostle Paul tells us the truth of Scripture when he says the only way to be reconciled unto a holy God is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. His whole ministry and mission is one of peace. He gifts it to us. He offers it to us. It is the gospel message. The shed blood of Jesus is in effect the signed peace treaty between holy God and sinful man. There is no other way to have peace. The gospel is even indicated as such. In Ephesians chapter 6, the apostle is describing the armor of God. Here's how he describes what our feet are shod with. The preparation of the gospel of peace. He writes in Romans 5.1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. No Christ, no Jesus, no peace. Rejection of Jesus Christ, rejection of the Word of God is why the world does not know peace. Now let me be very careful. When I say that, I'm saying the opposite of peace with God is not merely a lack of sleep, nor is it a restless mind for those that are in the world. But lack of peace with God is utter condemnation. It is damnation for all eternity. If you die without His peace, you suffer eternal wrath and condemnation for your sins. No Jesus, no peace. The foundation for us to experience the peace that we are discussing is Jesus Christ. It does not rest in my external circumstances, but in the fact that no matter what occurs in my life, I can rest securely in the reality that sovereign God is in control. He has not relented control. No Jesus, no peace. Now for the believer, no Jesus, no peace. How then as a Christian do I live in peace? How can I attain 
this very desirable status of inner tranquility, peace of heart, peace of mind, lack of fear, lack of trouble, not restless like a churned up sea, but still as glass. How can I do that? It's not passive. There's something you must do. Number one, I have learned this. Peace is submission. Peace is submission. Peace is submission. Submission is the end of conflict. I told this story in the first service. I'll tell it again now. My son was born a baby. Is that how your kids were born? Mine was born a tiny little baby. I could pick him up, carry him wherever I wanted him to go. He could tell me no, and I could just hold him out here. He could fight and flail, but he was small. There was nothing he could do. But now he's a big boy. Gets bigger seemingly every passing month. And is fascinated with jujitsu. Now, when you have a son who's gotten bigger than you and is fascinated with jujitsu, you can be certain that at some point you are going to become target practice. Last night, he decided we were going to grapple. Now, let me put the context on this story that one of us was going at 50%. The other was going at 75%. And we were wrestling, and he found a way to put his forearm on my neck, making it hard to breathe, and rolled, and we were on the ground, and my left arm was like in a chicken wing thing, and pulled up, and here's what I had to do, and it made his day. Didn't ruin mine, because I'm secure. I simply, with the chicken wing hold, reached over and tapped out. And the second that I tapped out, the pressure released. He let go of the hold. Where there was conflict in a moment upon submission, there was now peace. The pressure was released. It was over. I tapped out. I submitted and I found peace. That is very real, the description of finding peace. It's a fruit of the Spirit. In other words, when you surrender to the control of the Holy Spirit, when you tap out, trying to navigate your own way through, you find peace. This is an active thing. This is not passive. This doesn't just happen because you're carrying your Bible and walking into church and sitting here listening to incredibly effective preaching. This is something you must do. You must submit. Let me show you the cause and effect of peace in your life. You say, my life is chaotic. I'm dominated by anxiety. I'm filled with care and fret. Let me help you. Peace is submission. Isaiah says this in Isaiah 26.3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because, that's the cause and effect, he trusteth in thee. I have his peace which keeps me when my mind is stayed on him and I trust in him knowing regardless of the moment I find myself in, sovereignly he is in control. His will is being worked out. All things work together for his good. The Apostle Paul says something similar. Listen to what he says in Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do and what? The God of peace shall be with you. Here's some real 
life advice. Do you lack peace? If so, what do you dwell on? If you lack peace and your life feels chaotic and filled with fret and anxiety, what do you put into your mind? What do you mull over? It's not the outward circumstance, but the inward focus. Peace is not something you can only have when everything goes right. It's something you have even when everything goes wrong because your mind is stayed. It is fixed on Him. That is what you let control your thought patterns and set your habits, bringing every thought into captivity. It's active. It's something we must do. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Colossians 3. Let... That means allow the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let it happen. Now the word rule is intriguing. Because it indicates a choice the believer has to make. The believer does not automatically experience the peace of Christ. He's supposed to, but he may not. This is a command to let it happen, which means it demands obedience. We have a choice to make. The word rule in the Greek is to act as an umpire. Peace is to be the umpire, the deciding factor in all the circumstances of our lives. And we must allow peace to be. But wait, there's a chaotic circumstance as the peace of God is the umpire in our hearts. He says, safe. One commentator, Matthew Henry, said this, well, let this peace rule in your heart. Let this peace prevail, govern there as an umpire. Let it decide all matters of difference among you. Another commentator said quite pointedly, let the peace of God be the decider of all things within your heart. The point is a believer makes a choice. The decision is his or hers whether to let the peace of Christ rule or not. Scripture demands it. But the believer must be willing to let the peace of God be the umpire. The peace must rule. Willing to lay aside the pressure of external circumstance and let Christ handle them through His peace. Cast all your care upon Him for He careth for you. That's what the Bible says. We don't really comprehend the depth of that. The imagery behind that verbiage is you're carrying a a very heavy, weighty backpack. And as you are trudging uphill through life, you have this weight on your back. And then in a decisive act of will, you take off the backpack full of weight and hand it to Him, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Don't imagine that passively this goes away. You must let the peace of God rule in your heart. You must keep your mind stayed on Him. You must trust in Him. Peace is submission. Paul writes further in Philippians 4, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Isn't that intriguing, the depth that goes to? It's not just your heart. We really think of Scripture and heart. They go together. He says, the peace of God will keep your heart from being troubled and your mind from running away with you. Give Him those requests. Pass along that anxiety. Hand Him that trouble. It's too much for you to bear. Peace is submission. It is not only submission. I have found as I've studied that peace is a pursuit. 
It's a chase that we're in. Romans 12, 18. Paul writes this. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. If possible. In other words, do everything that you can to be at peace with all men. He'll go on and he'll write this in verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. The Lord's going to take care of it. If it's possible, as much as you possibly can, every ounce of your being, you be at peace with all men. Now I understand what the Apostle Paul says here. He does not say, let all men be at peace with you, because some people just are not going to be at peace with you. Some people will not let it go, but he is saying, conflict takes two. You refuse to be the other party. As much as you possibly can, let there be peace between you and all men. Pursue it, chase it, seek it out. Vengeance belongs to him. He'll take care of it. He goes on and he says, therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. We read those verses, I know you think like I think. The only part I like about that is burning my enemy with coals of fire. Pour coals of fire on his head and burn him down. Only that's a really isogetic view of scripture. Here's what he's talking about. In primitive culture, very foreign to us, people would carry things on their head. What he's communicating to us is, if your enemy, the individual that persecutes you, that hates you and despises you, finds that their fire has gone out, and it will take a while for them to restart and ignite the fire hot enough to boil their water so that they can drink and to cook their food so they can eat, and they come over to your house and they knock on the door and they say to you, hey, my fire has gone out, every part of your humanity says, good, this is the Lord putting your fire out for being mean to me. And the Apostle Paul and the Spirit of God says, no, go to your fire, take some live coals off, give them to them, they'll carry them back, and they'll start up their fire again so they can eat and they can drink. That's how you treat people that hate you. Don't overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. As much as you possibly can, live at peace with all men. When you do act of, acts of kindness to your enemy, it's literally like putting coals of fire on their head. It's hard for somebody to remain your enemy when you invest by helping him rebuild his fire. Now quickly, I want to just jump through some verses. What I'm asking you as a listener to do is to assess whether this sounds like a passive thing that's just going to happen or an active thing that you must do. In 2 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul is writing to the believers at Corinth. He says this, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect, that's fully matured. Be of good comfort, be of one mind. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. He writes to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 4, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Live in peace. 
Endeavor to keep peace, if it be possible, to every extent you can go. You refuse to be the one who is the source or point of conflict. Heap coals of fire, overcome evil with good. Let the Lord have some time to work things out. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. That's a compound word, peacemaker. It demands that we understand that the person, again, is not passive. Literally, someone who is negotiating peace. Christians are to be peacemakers. And those Christians who are peacemakers are called the children of God. What that indicates is as we negotiate peace with all of those in our existence, we bear the honor and dignity of our own Heavenly Father, God, and bring peace. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 12, 14. Follow peace with all men. Follow peace with all men. Now, follow seems somewhat passive. But when you understand the word follow there means to run swiftly in order to catch something. It was literally used of hunters and hounds that were chasing down game. In a metaphorical sense, it means pursue, seek after eagerly, endeavor to acquire. You should chase peace down like a hound chases a fox. It should be the aim of your existence. How is it that Christians can be at odds with each other? It is because we're too proud to be peacemakers. How do Christian marriages fall apart? It's because people are too proud, too full of themselves to be peacemakers. How can churches become caustic and factious in spirit? It's because people are too proud to be peacemakers and follow peace. Follow peace implies what we already know. Men are by nature wrathful, unpeaceful. Remember, he's talking to believers there. He does not say don't quarrel. He does not say maintain the peace. He says follow peace. There's a great difference between avoiding situations that might lead to wrath and anger among believers and actually going out of your way to restore relationships which have been previously disrupted. We have to make it our business to restore believers who are at each other's throats and that can happen. That's why the Apostle Paul has to take time in Ephesians 4 to say to Christians, be nice, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as Jesus forgave you. Do the same for other people. Follow it. By nature, that goes against us. And listen, I can maintain peace by avoiding you. Right? I just avoid you. I just go down to the left when you go to the right. I can maintain peace. If Jesus had just said, blessed are the peacekeepers... They shall be called the children of God. That's easy, but he says, blessed are the peacemakers, which means I cannot avoid you. I've got to make peace. You say, but pastor, I'm in a situation in my life where the other party refuses to arrive at a place of peace. Well, then we just back up and we say, if it be possible, as much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. If there's going to be conflict, you're not the source of it. This is the whole turn the other cheek principle. This is brutal stuff to understand. And at no point is this passive. How do I live in peace? Peace is submission. Peace is a pursuit. And lastly, I have found that peace is a product of gratitude. Paul writes in Colossians 3.15, 
We've already been in this verse. I'll finish it now. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Be thankful in that verse is in the present tense, which means this is a continual action. This is a habit of your life. You live out a life of gratitude. And if you and I are going to live out lives of gratitude, it indicates, it demands that we be people who are content. The greener grass syndrome goes away. I would be content if I had a different spouse, if I had a different job, if I had a different house, if I had a different church, if I had a different pastor. Come on, no you wouldn't. If I had, if I did, if I could, it's that green grass syndrome. We are not at peace when we are not content because peace is a product of gratitude and gratitude and contentment go hand in hand. Ask yourself this, would other believers or other people who know you well, would they say you are a person who is grateful and thankful or are you known for complaining, whining, and griping? All the way back in the Old Testament, I found this very interesting. In the book of Leviticus, which is kind of the manual for the Levites, we learn something along these lines. It's rooted all the way back in the Old Testament. In Leviticus chapter 3, we learn something about the peace offering. In Leviticus chapter 3 and verse 5, we learn that the peace offering was always offered right after the burnt offering and never by itself. The burnt offering, the offering for sin And then the peace offering is offered up. In other words, the burnt offering dealt with sin and the peace offering celebrated the forgiveness of sin. Over in Leviticus chapter 7, which you've been desperate to get into Leviticus today, you're there, you made it. We learn about the peace offering. Just listen as the peace offering is described. This is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which he shall offer unto the Lord. If he offer it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving unleavened cakes mingled with oil, and unleavened wafers anointed with oil, and cakes mingled with oil of fine flour fried. That sounds like pancakes, right? That just sounds like pancakes. Now, Get this as he concludes. Besides the cakes, he shall offer for his offering leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offerings. Now, you and I cannot deny as students of the Bible two things. Thanksgiving and peace offering are one and the same. We also cannot deny that as we read through the list of that which is offered up as part of the thanksgiving offering, this peace offering is communicating abundant gratitude. All of these different kinds of cakes, all of this effort that goes into this is communicating thanks for the forgiveness of sins, which means gratitude and contentment is a source of peace. And one of the reasons you lack inner tranquility is because you are always trying to get something that God doesn't have for you, instead of resting in what God has already given you. When you have peace, a cycle, you are thankful. And when you remain thankful for forgiveness of sins, you have peace and you are content. And so you are thankful and you have peace and you are content. And then you are thankful. It's a cycle that we live through. Here's what we have to grasp. We live in a world that literally is dominated by anxiety. Like a sea, that's the picture, tore up. Turning up mire and mud, always churned up, always restless, never able to simply lay down. 
Inner monologues churning, tearing us up. We can ha- know Jesus, no peace. But know Jesus, no peace. Peace is submission. You and I have to bring our thoughts into captivity. Have to ask ourselves, what are we meditating on? What are we mulling over? What is setting our thought patterns? But if I will fixate on him and on those things, and I will let, allow the peace of God to be the umpire in my heart, I can know peace. But i got to give up a lot of me to do that. Peace is submission. It's a pursuit. To be quite honest, some of the turmoil we have lived in is years, decades long, and we must be peacemakers. It's also a product of gratitude. Here's what I'm telling you. If we're ever going to live in peace, we cannot just show up at church, smile, shake hands, carry our Bible, sing out a few songs, and go about our lives. We've got some work to do. And I'm not saying you've got to muscle up and change your personality. It is, after all, a fruit of the Spirit. If we're right with God, revering His Word, Obedient to his word, this is manifest in our lives. Peace. Don't act like you don't long for it. Would you please bow your heads just for a moment? Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing, and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.